shall come to thee, O Israel. You know what Israel means in Hebrew? Striving with God. Anybody here striving in this world with God this morning? Yeah, are you? Good. Isn't that great? And he's come to us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much this morning. All of us here this morning, Lord, are here to praise you because you have come to us. You've left your throne in heaven and come to us so that we can know you. Lord, we come here this morning confessing that we are yours. You're our Savior and our Lord. Oh, Lord, we fall down before you this morning with joyful hearts because you're our Lord. And we can be with you forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for your great sacrifice in leaving heaven and coming here and your great sacrifice on the cross, Lord, shedding your blood, conquering death for us, Lord. We praise you this morning. And, Lord, as we read your word this morning, as we look at your word, your spoken word to us, right here in front of us in print, Lord, You speak to us, I pray. Open our hearts, our minds, all of us, Lord, to you, that we may hear you clearly, know you better, and live in you perfectly in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Now teach us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've been going through uh, Hebrews, and the point of Hebrews, and I know you know this by now, is that Jesus is supreme to everything there is. You believe that? Any amens in here this morning, you can feel free. We're accepting amens this morning, too, as part of our offering, aren't we? Yeah, okay, we can do that anytime. We've been through this whole thing where we've seen Jesus, why he came. I love what Chuck read here this morning to remind us why Jesus is here, even now, isn't he? Amen. So we have a great Savior who's coming. And then the writer of Hebrews, this church um, that was off somewhere, a small church, a little church like us, not many people in it. And he was saying that they are people who are of God's word because they were Hebrews, they were Jewish. But they were saying Jesus Christ has come now and he's the one who is our great leader, our great savior, and the one who is our great high priest, is what we said last week. And we, now, here's the thing. We don't really identify with what a high priest is because we don't seem to, they don't practice that anymore, do they? Don't need to because we have one. It's Jesus Christ. But the, the high priest of the Hebrews was someone that was a whole lot different. So I'm, we're going to read this morning. We're going to do the first 10 verses of chapter 5 of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible there, please open it to uh, Hebrews 5. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And it talks about the great high priest, but we're going to find out a whole lot about that, what that meant to Israel and what it means to us today because Jesus Christ is our great high priest today. Begin reading in verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take up upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today 
I have become your father. And he says in another place in scripture, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and, and tears to the one who, who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Oh, may the Lord add understanding and grace to the reading of his word. Before Christ, for mankind to come before the holy God, a single, specially chosen man, bred in the priestly order, so he's bred for it, he was chosen by God, and he was prepared to go into the holy temple to offer the, the, the sacrifices and the offering once a year for the whole nation. And uh, he was the one who was designated to go before the throne of God, the high priest. And then in God's children, in his nation, that was the most important person there was, living person that there was. Every part of his life, everything he did was lived out as the representative of mankind before God. That meant his walk, the way he ate, the way he, he, he did everything, the way he took a bath. <laughs> um, and it was all to show his, the incredible dignity and spiritual significance of the office that he held before God. The high priest, let me tell you what. It's so important to see the, how important he was in, the, in the, the way that these Jewish people lived before God that everything he did, everything about his life was from God. Now, this is going to really blow your mind. Even how he dressed, the clothes that he wore. How many, how many people here, you know, mom says, put on your gloves, right? Uh-uh. This is God saying you have to be dressed in the right way or you can't come before me. Hmm. You know, we, last night we went out for the first time since we've been in, been over here. We went out and did a social thing. We went and heard the boy choir. And we were talking, so what do we wear? And they said, well, the mayor might be there. Let's put on our best clothes. Uh-huh. You know, the mayor doesn't tell me how to dress. God does. When I come before him, right? I thought, how important that is. Sometimes we get caught up on how we're going to get dressed, you know, so we can get the approval of men. God wouldn't even look and... I wouldn't say that way, but, but God wanted you to come. Someone, whoever came before him had to come before him with every part of their being inside and outside, being ready to come before the holy God. Wow. It's kind of exciting. Now, it's not how we should dress on Sunday morning. There's nothing said about that. You know, we, but we do have this thing where we, have to, we come as we are, right? God says, you know what? If I'm in you, you're coming before me with me in you, right? That makes sense? Yeah, so we're bringing our hearts and everything we have, then we're dressed right for him this morning. But let me tell you how the high priest had to do it. He was a special guy, the one guy, and God told him how to dress. Um, Exodus 28 describes all of this. I'm not going to go into all the detail and everything I learned this week, or we'd be here for a while, but it is great. It's a great thing to know because you really see how God wants us to come before him and this is just how he wants us to, how the high priest was to be dressed before he came. So let me tell you real quick. He, he had on these, these magnificent garments. 
specially made, every thread. Now, you know, we, we, we've grown up in a part of our lives being involved in, in weaving, at least Iris has. <laughs> I've been a great watcher. But even the threads, how they were woven, the finely woven linen, even there were threads made of gold, pure gold, and how, how it, was, it was woven and made into a thread. God says that's the way you're going to do it, even the finest part of the clothing. But listen to this. First thing it is, he put on a blue robe. Now, here's something that you have to understand about when God says how he put the color scheme in to everything he did. They wore royal blue because it was the color of the skies and it was heavenly. They wore purple because it was a, it was a sign of royalty. They, they, they had a, the gold was because that was the most precious thing they had that they could share. So that, that was the most honor the greatest honor they could show anybody. And then the red scarlet threads, scarlet thread, was because of the blood of sacrifice, which had life in it, life that God had given, right? So remember all that as we go through this. So they were interwoven with these, the, the blue and, and the, the light blue for the, for the robe and the purple for royalty. And attached to the robe were these pomegranates. Why pomegranates? I always wondered that. I never knew until we went and looked it up this week. But they had these pomegranates sewn into the bottom of the robe. And, it, it, and then every other, there was a pomegranate, then there was a golden bell. A bell, a real bell that rang, made out of gold. Am I boring anybody here? This, this, this kinda, I thought it was kind of neat. And here's the thing I read in, in one of the commentaries, the Jewish commentary, is that it was out of gold because there was so much gold in all the temple that this was gold that was going through the temple, but it's the only thing that made a sound. So it could add the sound to the worship experience in coming before God. Anyway, they had the gold and then the pomegranate. The pomegranate was the was the fruit that they had out in the desert that had the only fruit that didn't had red seeds in it, but no flesh to it. So it's just the open, red, exposed seeds. I don't know, do with that whatever you want. So and, and then but but he wore this this um hang on, I'm getting down here. Uh perfect place. A richly woven oh yeah, multicolored sash. Uh, that it held the robe in place, all with the same colors. And then he wore this thing called an ephod. It's like an apron or even like a vest, you know, that he could wear over it. And it had on it this nine-inch square with all the with stones in it, precious stones. And those precious stones, of course, represented the people of God, which were in families, 12 families, 12 tribes of Israel. So the people of God he was representing, he wore over his heart. And I thought it was kind of neat. One of the commentaries said that the high priest probably took his hand and held that close to his heart. The heart, because he was giving a heart and everything he had to God. Um, it was gold chains, of course, that held it on. And, and, uh, uh, and then all, and then he had this pocket with the Urim and, th- and Thummim. You know what that is? It's what uh, some theologians now, they call it the holy dice. It was, it was these, these stones that they would cast it as God would tell them, you know what to do. Nobody really understands it. However, in my research, no one really understands how they worked. Or there wasn't really an instruction manual that we have, but I found it on the internet. You can actually get a manual how to use a thum and you're in the thum, and you can own and uh, buy them and have them sent to your house. I'm sure. I'm kidding. I'm making fun of them. <laughs> and then on top of his head, he had this linen turban, and. Uh, but it went, on the top of it, it said, holy to God, holy to the Lord. That was his mission statement, wasn't it? That's who he was. The top of him, he was underneath, holy to God. 
Wow, isn't it neat? Anybody here want to dress up like that? Uh, I, I want to live like that, though, don't you? Holy to God. Um, every stitch, everything in him uh, was about coming before the glorious high God because he was representing all of the people. And he went in to be with God. And those little bells he wore on the, on the bottom of his robe, um, there's scripture about that. It, it tells that the bells were worn so that the sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die, Exodus 28. So he had to wear that just to stay alive. And matter of fact, they actually put a rope on him. If they ever heard the bell stop ringing, they pulled him back out, you know. Might not have made it. So when you go and you look that up, let me tell you, if you want to go do that on your own, go to, go to the Internet or wherever, commentaries, whatever you have. That's a great worship experience just to go find out all that stuff about how we, uh, the high priest, was to come before God. Um, and you know what? It's really sad to think that somebody would go and make those clothes or even the Urim and the Thummim uh, unauthorized, isn't it? They're really mocking God when they do that, aren't they? Um, think that they could be outwardly qualified without being inwardly qualified to come before God. Um, We're going to read here this morning, the first four verses in Hebrews 5 are about the qualifications of the human high priest. But 5 through 10 are about Jesus Christ, our high priest, and how he meets the qualifications for that... (laughs) For that, uh, for being the high priest, but he was qualified by God, and, and that for this little church to understand that the qualified person is the one who is going to lead them through to their rest to make it all the way through so they could persevere. I want you to keep a, the, the, these, this picture of this, of the garments, the holy garments on as we go through and we, and we look at all this um, because they really show us that what was really qualified on the inside and shown to us on the outside was that he was a humble person. He identified with us. He was a man. He had to be human. Um, he also had to sympathize with who we were because he lived among us. This is the human person, right? And that he also had to be chosen by God. Couldn't be anybody slipping in to try to act like it or to put on any kind of false thing. So let's look at this. Humanity was was a really the fundamental part of being of the priestly ministry. Look at verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Are you going to go read that? That's in Exodus uh, 28 and Numbers 8. Here's the thing. No angel could do it. We've already said Jesus is the spirit of angels, right? But angels couldn't be a high priest. Um, no hero, deceased soul or anything like that that, you know, that that people would try to follow could be the high priest. He had to be a living human being, a mortal like every one of us. Hmm. That's interesting. And his primary function was to to represent them in matters related to God, a human being relating to God for you and me. Uh, that's kind of a makes you wonder, doesn't it? Does that do a kind of a little? 
explosion in there? Yeah, it does me. He needed to know how to be linked to man, and he needed to be linked to God. So he's the one that's in between. Now, Dale, high priest, was was not a man who went out and hid in the desert for a year while he's getting ready for the annual thing. You know, he didn't want him to do that. Didn't want him, want him going monastic on us where he goes out and he hides from everybody. Um, but he he had to um, walk among us so that he kept that continuity, that sympathy, sympathy with mankind, with you and me, and. He couldn't go out and just avoid everybody for a year. He was chosen among men as someone who related with people. You know, I, at one time I was the director of a local seminary and had a professor one time from, he was really good, and he had a student that came to him, and uh, he was a great student academically, right on top. And he asked him when he was getting ready to go out and graduate, John John Gogger, he just re- retired here a couple of weeks ago. He asked the young student, he said, so, um, so how do you see yourself? What do you see yourself doing to serve the kingdom? And the kid said, well, you know what? I love to read. I love to study. I love working out all this stuff, so I think I just want to study and do all that. And he, and he said, what, what, how are you going to pastor to people? He said, oh, I don't like people much. <laughs> So, so John, John actually wrote on his review for this, this, this student, he said, this kid is one of the best I've ever known academically, among the very best there is. But whatever, whatever you do, don't give him a church. <laughs> you know, so what, what is that going to do for anybody, huh? Yeah, I'm, I think John, sometimes John's, John's glad he, he retired here a couple weeks ago. Um, it's good for the minister to be in the alive and involved in everything that's going on in this congregation. Isn't that what we look at here today? Huh? We all walk together, yeah, but you know what? We all need to go know where we're going together. And But the pastor today, the minister today, the priest then had to be involved in their lives because here's the thing. It's, um, it's not smooth sailing, you know, really, when... It's not really the right kind of life that he leads. Pastors make mistakes. A high priest made mistakes, I'm sure. There's no way he could have lived among people and not made mistakes. You know, all the, the stresses and, and all the joys and everything that we enjoy as humans, he had to experience so he'd know how to represent people before God. Make sense? Work, family, busy schedules, bills. Priests didn't really have bills, but, you know, the ones today do. Um, bills, all the activities qualify him to represent the people in matters related to God. That's what he was doing. That's what the, what the priest was there to do. Uh, not unlike today. Um, another quality for priesthood was that in verse 2, he said he's able to, to, to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. Now, the ideal priest, the ideal candidate for priest, had the gift to deal gently with those. Read this. Gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. So how, does he, how could he be gentle with people? <laughs> this the same problem this student had, right? First, he had to realize that he may be the high priest, but he's still a sinner. Because he's human. 
He had to offer sacrifices for his own sins. I'm reading it from the scripture, as well as for the sins of the people. So on the picture this, on the Day of Atonement, decked out in all these magnificent robes and, and everything that he's wearing that God had prescribed him to read, he, he puts on that, 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 and then he has to, first thing he has to do, he has to go and slaughter a bull in those great clothes. And you know how he did it? He put his hand on the bull, and he, and he they supposedly he, he confessed all of his sins for him and his family. He's a leader of his family. Put his hands on the bull, and then he had to kill the bull. And matter of fact, then he had to do that seven more times. Clothes are going to get dirty, aren't they? Mom's going to be mad. <laughs> no, he had to get all that dirty. And then he took the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled some of it on the mercy seat. And then sprinkled it more seven times on the mercy seat. Only after taking care of his own sins as a human being could he even think about offering sacrifices for the sins of the whole nation. Had to take care of himself first. Um, he knew he was a sinner through and through. And yet he was going to go before God for the whole nation. How many people want that responsibility? Yeah. Here's the thing. He couldn't put himself above them, but he ministered with sympathetic grace that was given to him by Christ, by God, through God. And he also had to be aware of, and look at that same verse, he had to be aware that he was subject to weaknesses. He was, you know, there's no way he was born a sinner, and he, here he is, he's, he's subject to all the, these, these weaknesses. He knew he was part of, of uh, the community of weakness. We all are, aren't we? He was subject to the weaknesses in his body. You know, he was, I'm sure he, you know, he got sick. He uh, got old. <laughs> he ate too much sometimes. That's just part of the, the weaknesses of the body, isn't it? And um, he got tired. Um, he was subject to the weaknesses of the intellect. You know, our minds are limited. They're not like God's. Just so much that we can get to, no matter how hard we no matter how, what great ability we have that we sometimes call, you know, intelligent quotient and IQ, ability to learn something in a specific place or a specific genre or whatever knowledge. Um, it didn't make any, any sense. We still have limits, don't we? So I'm sure with those kind of limits of the intellect, he made mistakes. He probably said things sometimes. He went, whoops, shouldn't have said that. Uh, I do that about every time I speak, I think, sometimes. So, you know what, there is that 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 going on, too. So, weaknesses of the body, weaknesses of the intellect, um, weaknesses of emotion. I don't think there's anybody in here that hadn't lost their temper or lost their their thought, a godly process because of emotions or, or anything else that's going on there. He lost control. Um, I'm sure sometimes he got what we might even call the, the depressed uh, the feelings of others kind of controlled him because he was in that environment. You ever been there? So he was a part of this universal community of weakness. But the ideal high priest, with this awareness of his weakness and the awareness of his sin, gave him the ability to listen, look at this, to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Combining those weaknesses and that humility, right? 
Whoops, are we talking about what we talked about in Sunday school this morning? I believe we are, aren't we? Uh, the word translates to, to deal gently uh, was used to describe conduct that was between the extremes, between anger and apathy, one commentary said. Another one said between being incensed at sin or lax about sin. That's what gentleness was, being able to, to navigate through, through that. And a high priest had understood that was compassionate and he was sensitive to that. He dealt gently with his people because of that. Hmm. Brings a whole new meaning to gentleness, doesn't it? Uh, we, we read this morning in, in uh, Ephesians 4, and it listed all those things as a stair step, as, as a step process. But in reality, you know what? If we have the heart of God in us, if we have what he's given us, then we can deal gently when other people go astray, can't we? That's what the high priest was to do. That's one of his qualifications. You know what? You see this in Jesus. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, in, in the first three uh, uh, blesseds, uh, he had to have a blessed awareness of weakness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what it says, isn't it? And then it says, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then he had to have an awareness of sin. Listen to this. Blessed are those who mourn, mourn over the things they've done wrong, over their sin and everything. He said, for they shall be comforted. Huh. And that produces gentleness. Blessed are the gentle. That's what you read earlier. That's the NASB. I think the one you have in front of you probably says meekness. It's the same thing. Blessed are those are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When someone is fully aware that he or she is a sinner and they make their, they have this human weakness, we're all part of that same community, then we can deal gently with each other. Hmm. And that's what the high priest was to do because he was, he was part of that. He had that sympathy with the, our, his humans. Here's the th- other thing that I see. If someone is harsh and, um, Judgmental, they're unsympathetic, then they've gone beyond their experience with Christ, hadn't they? They've moved on. They've moved past their sense of weakness and their sense of being a sinner. That's when people get judgmental, isn't it? The ones who are in Christ. A lot of Christians fall into this this condition uh, after humbly coming to Christ at conversion, and then they kind of drift away from that and they drift into this harshness and this judgmental thing and you know what that really disqualifies disqualifies them for the ministry doesn't it for ministering for Christ uh, what a beautiful quality it is to have to deal gently with those who are slipping into sin or falling into sin that's the kind of high priest I want how about you and the last qualification is really clear look at this uh, this is in verse 4. The high priestly position must be a calling by God, must be chosen by God. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. All Israel priests were uh, to come only by divine appointment. God chose them. Man couldn't slip in there and do anything. You know, uh, and when they did, he took care of them pretty quickly. Remember Korah's rebellion? 
Remember that? They came and they said, wait a minute, you're doing this all wrong. We're going we're gonna to make our own service. We're going to make our own liturgy. We're going to make our own offerings with our own censers to our own way of worship. And we're going to be the priest. And remember what happened to them? God said, put them all in one place and watch this. Opened up the earth and swallowed them up. Gone. Because they had tried to do what God, only God could do. He chose the people who were to be his priests. Um, there's a... <laughs> There's some lesser ones than that. That that was kind of dramatic. King Saul, he lost his whole reign because he took over Samuel's place, didn't he? Got got tired of waiting on the guy. Too long a sermon. (laughs) Kidding. And and then Uzziah, remember him? He he tried to be priest and and, uh, misusing a censer. So he got covered with leprosy and he had to wear it the rest of his life. All because they had tried to take over the priesthood or to become... God's priest, and only God can choose him. There is no record that I could find where any genuine high priest campaigned his way into office or or tried to take it or usurp it or anything. It's just not going to happen. God's the only one who chooses a high priest for his coming into his presence. So Everything was a divine calling. So that's so. Look, the ideal priest really was a great person, wasn't he? I'd like to have known the great, a great high priest back then. I'm glad I know the great high priest now. But he carried Israel on his shoulders. I think he he wore everybody's testimony over his heart. So he and you know, um, wow, that's a thought. He had this solid unity with um, with his people. He was one of them through and through, so he could identify with them. He could sympathize with them. He was a real link between them and God, wasn't he? He had this link to God that God had chosen him to do, and then he had the link with the humans because he was one of them. Um, he could always deal gently with them because he understood them. He understood how they were. He was chosen, and he was called by God. So here's another thing about being chosen by God. His ego had no place in his life because God had chosen him. Takes all that out, doesn't it? Um, he was selected to serve. Um, Hebrews found it easy to honor someone like that and to follow someone like that. With all these qualifications, what could be better? Could there be anybody better than, than that to serve him? Yep, Jesus. Jesus, the high priest. Uh, so let's, let's go back through that real quick. Jesus was chosen by God. Look at this, verse 5. So Jesus also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son today, I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You know what? He wasn't just chosen as to be be the the royal king, which he is. He was also chosen to be the high priest. Uh, his, His royal office as king of kings, lord of lords, whatever was actually prophesied in Psalm 2. It says, you are my son today, I have become your father. Jesus. Royal. Yeah, amen. I'll say it. Which, and and, and that, re, that refers to him being the, the royal king. Uh, and then Acts 2.36, I'll let us say, God says, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Remember they were arguing before the Sanhedrin and they picked up the stones that they wanted to kill him? He, he said... He has, and that's God's promise. That didn't come from, the, from, from Peter and John. That came from God himself, right there in front of everybody, declaring him. Jesus is the eternal king. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Okay, look. And Jesus preached the office. It was prophesied in, in Psalm 110.4. It said, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's a messianic prophecy. So, you know, that was a shock to people that heard, who heard this in the, this little Hebrew church. You know why? Because this is the first time ever we find that Jesus is a high priest. And he's in the order of Melchizedek. Now, we talked about that a little bit before. Um, Melchizedek, according to Genesis 14, was, was both king and priest. He's the king of Salem, and then, then his name says he was a, a, a king and a priest. And you can find that in Genesis 14. So the writer of Hebrews, what we're reading right here, he gives us an important truth. Jesus is both the eternal king and he's also the high priest. And it all came to him by being ordained by God the Father. God put him here. Jesus did not seek it. Look at, look at verse 16. He said, being in very nature God. Oh, no, this is from Philippians. He said, uh, being in very nature God did not consider quality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, made him in human likeness. Jesus didn't take over the high priesthood office. God gave it to him. He emptied himself so that he could take it and he could be it. Um, he didn't seize it. He didn't campaign for it. He didn't. Eh. His only goal was to glorify God the Father. That's why he did it. For you and me, yes, but to glorify God the Father. And here's the thing. Jesus' priesthood is far superior to Aaron's, far superior than the man made when we talked about a while ago. Um, there was no succession of priests. See, when Aaron was made priest, there had to be someone to succeed him, right? So the priesthood had to go on and on because when they were men, they died. But here's the thing we know about the order of Melchizedek. He disappeared out of nowhere. There wasn't anybody before him. There wasn't anybody after him. That's what makes Jesus on the order of You see, Jesus is eternal. He's eternally in there interceding for you and me. That Jesus with God the Father. His, his priesthood has no ending and it has no beginning. Not only is Jesus superior because of his divine calling to the king and the priest, but he's also superior in his priestly unity with the people. Look at this, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tear, tears to the one who could save him. Hmm. From death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. You know what? The very perfect example of um, Jesus' human condition was his agony in the garden as a person, as a human. He offered, and look at this, verse 7b says, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. You know what? Jesus had taken, remember Jesus is God. He sat in God's throne. So he had, God is the one who actually invented knowledge. I know that's a hard one to understand, isn't it? He's, he's not bound by time. So he's omniscient. He's all knowledge. He's, he's here forever and ever. He's omnipresent. And he has all power. Matter of fact, this is another thing. Because he's God, he created power. I just kind of get lost in all of that. But he left all, Jesus had all of that and he left it all behind. He gave all of that up. And he submitted it to God the Father. 
So Jesus was living under God the Father, had given all that up, and was living under his direction. That's when he became this holy child that we celebrate right now. God incarnate had given all that up to come here to be with you and me. And we first seen what is a helpless baby. And now we're talking about him being our high priest that lives forever. Wow. Christmas means a lot, doesn't it? A lot more than just that baby, that manger. Became fully human while still being fully God or being God because he's under God's direction. Wow. So that explains how he got through all of this agony, you know, in the garden and on the cross. It was real human agony, too. It was painful as a human being beyond what we can really even imagine. We can actually imagine some of it, but it's far beyond our imagination. Mark tells us that that, uh, Jesus was deeply um, distressed, Mark 14, 33. He says, and the word picture here is is not someone that's um, um, depressed, you know, like I need to go see a doctor or something. It's someone who is terrified. They've, they've reached a point where they're suddenly terrified. They're, they've been surprised into terror. And it's so much terror that he even says that um, I fear death. He said, I, or he didn't say I fear. He said, I don't want to do this. Isn't there another way that we can do this? And he also says, that, uh, and Mark tells us, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. His sorrow was so deep that he could die. His body could die from it. That's pretty deep. That's pretty hard, isn't it? And it it gets even worse. He says this, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it is possible, this hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. That's a human being, isn't it? Yet not I will but your will. Hmm. That's the God in him, isn't it? It's really amazing that he would be repeatedly asking his father uh, this hour and this cup, which is, that's a, it was his death. He knew that. Don't you see the struggle that's going on in him as a human being? How can I do my father's will? I don't want to not do his will, but I have to do his will. Hmm, it's far beyond the, the fights we have inside, isn't it? And here's the reason that he went through all that agony. He was truly man, and he was truly God. Now, that's the part that we really have a hard time understanding, isn't it? As a, as a man, he had a human will and voluntarily limited his knowledge when he gave all that up and his power. And his his prayer was not to do something other than what the Father's will was. Um, He even said in a prayer that if if there's a way, Lord, of you not doing this, I know you can find it. Would you do that? I don't think he was trying to make a deal with God either. He said, if you find another way, I'll do it. I'll I'll take the option. But your will be done. You know, um, the nerd kid Ken read that Cyril of Alexandria was a guy that lived in the 5th century and he was trying to explain this he lived over in, in Alexandria he lived in Egypt of course so, but he said 
you see that death was not voluntary for Christ as far as the flesh was concerned, but it it was voluntary because by it, according to the will of the Father, salvation and life were given to all men. Hmm. Humbling words, are they? Christ asked that this uh, cup be taken away because he was truly man and his authentic unity with with um, humanity was the reason that he had all this agony because he identified with us. He was one of us. And then verse 7b says, uh, the last part of 7, it says he was heard because of his reverent submission. So his reverence for the Father determined that his, human, his humanity would please the Father, and so the Father answered his prayer. Even though his body died, he was saved out of death, wasn't he? He conquered death, and he did that for you and me. By identifying with us in the agony and the pain, he conquered death. And so now we can rise to new life with him, eternal life, because death has been conquered. And you know what? The Father's will was done. You and I now have an open door, don't we? We have a way because of Jesus Christ's agony and suffering. So Jesus' unity with with, uh, humankind was so perfect that look at this. In uh, 9, he says he learned obedience from what he suffered and was made perfect. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus passed from imperfection to perfection or that he was uh, he, he went from disobedience to obedience. What it means is that his humanity is complete. It's all been given to God. And it does and it, Now, in his completeness, his his perfection, he is this look at this, none, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now we come in. Is that exciting? Huh? All we have to do is obey him. You know, we're going to fall short, but if we obey him, we're his. And we get to be with him forever and ever. Christ is our eternal savior. He won. Death is conquered. His superior divine calling, both as king, king of kings and lord of lords, and also as a, as priest, in his superiority with his unity with you and me, being part human and understanding us completely and totally, uh, and makes him far superior in his understanding than the high priest ever could have been, understanding you and me and identifying with us and our unity t- together as, as as people as humans. So, I want to ask you this morning: Can you see him as your high priest? Can you? Can you identify with him as a human being? Ah, to see him as the one who was appointed by God, called by God, chosen by God, and sent here for you and me, and to identify with us. So he's he's a human, but he's also God. Wow, that's a hard thing, isn't it? For people who don't know him and don't have him living inside of them, don't know his joy and his peace that he brings us even in times when it's so frustrating, you want to just jump out a window, right? That's why I keep my office in the basement. You know, but we, we get that that whole thing about God being God and G- Jesus being God and Jesus being human. He can completely identify with us. There's not, a, there's not a temptation that any of us have ever had that Jesus hadn't already had. And he's, he's taken it away. It's gone if you just obey him and follow him.
he took all of our sins in his priestly body on the cross and in his human unity with us he takes our burdens that we've our sin burdens and all of our burdens that we have and he wears them even now I think on that great ephod or he has us you know there's stones on his shoulder that, that, that it's, that's the weight of our sins they were precious stones on that ephod I didn't tell you about that part but there is yeah, on that and I think a while ago you know when I said that the high priest he, he took his hand and he put over his, his heart all the people that he was representing he kept close to his heart and he put his hand over it I think that now all of our precious lives and that Jesus represents are covered with a with a hand with a nail hole in it a pierced hand covers you and me it's a lot to think about isn't it you know now that you're seated at the right hand of God I think that those those gold bells I think they're 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 ringing all the time because Jesus is at work always before the heavenly throne and he's eternal remember I think that we can hear those bells, the bells of heaven. That may be what the bells of heaven are, huh? Think about it. Then Jesus wears them in his crown, the holiness of the Lord. That's going to be yours and mine someday because when we serve him and we, we do his will in this world, we're going to be able to, to claim that too, aren't we? It's all for the holiness of the Lord. How can we possibly miss the message in Hebrews? when we know all of that. How can we possibly miss the message for us today in this church family about who Christ is, our high priest, who he is today, and he's still at work. He's still serving eternally, always, for you and me before God. You know what? We have the example of Jesus and his prayers that were continual. You know, even in the garden, when he was in agony, he was praying for you and me. And we should be continuing to always, should we not? Praying with our Lord, that's, that means we're having a dialogue with our Lord all the time, who constantly represents us in heaven. You know what? We do have a lot to think about at Christmas, don't we? Because that little baby that came in a manger that died on the cross is alive today for you and me. And he intercedes for you and me all the time. He never stops. Amen. Amen. You know what? If you don't know him, if you've never given your life to him, don't wait. If there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus, it's a personal relationship. You can have a personal relationship with God himself through his high priest every day, all the time. Because he never stops working for you. He never stops that, that dialogue between us. If you can pray without ceasing, that's what it means. You live in his presence, you walk in his presence, walk in the way that he tells us, obey him. Let me tell you what, it's a joy that passes every kind of problem you might find in this world. Guaranteed. And let me tell you what, that's not a promise from me. That is a promise from my own experience, but it's a promise from God himself. It's right here in his word. You should read it and you should know that. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, I would tell you today, don't wait. And if you do know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, celebrate him today in a right way will you he's alive and he's interceding for us right now 
You can, you can know him all the time. Do it because you are a child of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, praise you, Lord. Praise you for who you are today. Not just what you've done, Lord. Oh, praise the Lord that you have opened the door for us to be with you forever and ever. To serve you, as we said this morning, Lord. To be your prisoners. Prisoners in Christ, I welcome it. We all do, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being who you are. For being our great high priest. And so today, Lord, we want to bring you glory. Glory to God in the highest. As we sing so often, Lord... You receive all the glory and all the honor. And Lord, if there's any heart here this morning that's not, that doesn't understand all these words, I pray this morning, today, Lord, that they would make that decision to follow you and obey you forever and ever, the Lord and Savior of their life. Oh, Lord, I pray that today is the day that you're worshiped in a way you never have been, that people will come to you in a way they never have forever and ever. You be glorified, Lord, in all that we do and say, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're going to sing a, a hymn of, of invitation. Of course, it's Christmas hymn. You can find Christ, you know, in, everywhere you go if you really want to know, if you're looking. Uh, but we, we sing these songs at Christmas to bring him honor and glory because he is God incarnate who came into our lives. So this morning, instead of just singing a Christmas hymn, would you offer this to him? Offer this to him with, with everybody around you, all of his brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Amen. Amen. So let's let's